0: I know you know this but I told you at the beginning of this study that this is deemed a difficult book to study and to understand and this week that reality hit me in the face again quite harshly with no apology and with no sympathy and so I spent quite a bit of time not telling you this for any reason other than uh, to explain something uh, spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what I was supposed to preach, what I was supposed to say, and I realized I was probably trying to deal with too large of a portion or too large of a passage of Scripture, and so I did not deal with, or we will not deal with, as much tonight as I originally thought we would, which means this may be a shorter message of sorts, but that's okay, and uh, I think this is a, a... Needed message, and it's one that I think some people, not saying you, but I think it's a message that some people uh, would struggle to understand, and it wouldn't necessarily seem to make sense to them, but uh, I think it's Bible. All right, and so that's what we're going to go with, and that's what we're going to try to give our attention to this evening. We're going to look at last week's message in a few moments, but before we do, I want us to think about something. Most of you know by listening to me talk uh, in casual conversation, that if the subject of mechanics comes up, that is not a conversation that I can contribute to. I know the basics, I know very, very limited information as it relates to mechanics. You know that, I've talked about it before. And because I was never really exposed to mechanics and working on engines and cars and things of that nature, well guess what, I'm not able to pass on to Nathan. I'm not able to pass on my knowledge and my understanding of mechanics and how things work and things of that nature. And so because of my lack of understanding, there is within Nathan a lack of understanding. And with my grandchildren, guess what? There will be a lack of understanding unless he marries a woman who really understands mechanics, okay? And anything's possible, so that may be where they pick it up. Nonetheless, I want you to imagine for just a moment that Nathan is talking to his friends, and he says to them, I think I'm going to go home and ask my dad if I can change the oil on his car. I think I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to volunteer to do that for my dad, Well, his friends may think something like this. Well, I bet your dad would let you do it. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. I I would imagine if it would save him some time and some effort and some energy, I'm sure your dad would be okay with that. So suppose Nathan came home and said, Dad, I want to save you some time, and I want to save you some effort, and I want to save you some energy. So to do that, I want to change the oil in your car. Well, guess what my answer would be? That's okay, bud. I appreciate it. But we'll take it to the shop and let them do it. But he's trying to do something for you. I understand he's trying to do something for me. And you're not going to let him do it? No, I'm not going to let him do it. And there's a reason why, and that is this. It's not really been an interest of his since he started driving. I've shown him how to change the oil. He understands how to do it. But because it's not a real interest of his, because mechanics is not a real interest of his, because that's not something that drives him, uh, he's not overly comfortable with it, so therefore I would not be overly comfortable with it. But it's in, in part because I have not seen an effort on his part to advance in something like this, working on cars. Does it make sense? Obviously not, but we're going to keep moving on, okay? Suppose you heard Hannah talking to her friends, and she said something like this. I think I'm going to volunteer to make supper for my family tonight. I'm going to grill steaks out on the grill. What well, sounds wonderful, does it not? Our daughter stepping up and wanting to grill and make us supper, and take care of that, and take some of the burden off of Susie. So she comes home, and she says, Dad, I think I want to grill supper tonight for you all, and and, and I want to take care of this so that Mom doesn't have to worry about it. So, Dad, if you'll just get me the steaks, I'm going to grill. Well, guess what my answer would be? No, you're not. You're not grilling steaks. Why would I not let her grill steaks? Why would I not let her prepare supper for us as it relates to going outside and grilling the steaks for us? For this reason, for everything that she is interested in as it relates to the kitchen and cooking and things like that, she has never shown any interest in knowing how to start the grill or to fire it up. She has never shown any interest to know How to cook on the grill and when things would be done and what to do. And so, because of a lack of interest on her part, is going to keep me from letting her do what she says in theory she would like to do. I'm afraid to ask the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Does that make sense? It ought to make sense. If your children have shown no interest in something, and then all of a sudden they say, hey, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. Well, that sounds nice, but I'm not just going to let you do this just because you think it would be neat. I'm not going to let you clean my chimney. I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do it because to this point you've shown no interest in this. Now, if you want to show some interest in this, then I will help you in the process learn how to do this. What's that got to do with anything? All right, look in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse number 11. He said to the believers, I believe, in his audience, he said, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, Sing, ye are dull of hearing. The writer is writing to fellow Jews who, as I said last week, I believe to be fellow believers. And he says, We have many things to say. They are difficult to be uttered because you are dull of hearing. You're lazy when it comes to hearing these types of things. You are sluggish. You are slothful. He said in verse number 12 For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So he said in verse number 12, When you ought to be helping others by way of teaching them, you have need to be taught the basics once more. You need milk when you ought to be having strong meat. Now, I want us to notice some of the wording here. He is very direct in his writing to his audience saying, This is true of you. Following this. You have need that one teach you again. You are the ones who have become in need of milk and not of strong meat. So in verse 13, he explained what the illustration is all about, that it's the Christian who is unskilled or who is undeveloped in their spiritual life who can only handle the milk. They are the babies in Christ. But he said in verse number 14 that it is the strong or the developed or the matured believer, the one who is of full age, who is able to take the meat, and digest the meat and able to discern both good and evil. It is the mature, it is the developed Christian who is able to discern what is right and what is wrong and process things of a weighty matter. That in mind, in chapter 6, verse number 1, the writer continues and he says, Therefore, therefore, What's that do? It connects verse 1 of chapter 6 to what's just been said in chapter 5. You cannot deny or suggest that there is a correlation here or a connection here. He says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. What does it mean to leave something? It means this it's the idea of abandoning something or forsaking something or departing from something. So he says, therefore, leaving the principles or the elementary aspects of the doctrine or the teachings of Christ. Now, if all a person did was read this statement, if all a person did was take this one little statement. At face value, all by itself, here is what one might assume the writer was suggesting that there was a need to abandon or forsake or depart the elementary or depart from the elementary teachings or the elementary doctrines of Christ. But when you consider this in its context, you know that that's not true, right? He would not be critical of them in verse number 12 that they would have need to be taught the the basics again once more, the elementary aspects of things once more. He he would not be critical of them in verse number 12 than in verse number 1 of chapter 6 say, now listen, here's what we need to do. We need to abandon the elementary aspects of the doctrines as it relates to Christ. But what it seems to be saying that the author is trying to communicate is this, is come on, believers, we need to get past this And we need to stop dealing with the elementary aspects of who Christ is and what Christ accomplished and and what Christ is supposed to be in our lives. It would be like me saying something like this to you or like you saying something like this to someone else. Come on, let's get this grounded. Let's get this established and let's move on and let's not deal with this anymore. How many times it might be said something like this, How many times do we have to go over this? We've all expressed that at some point, I think, in our lives, in some area. Come on! Let's move on, let's get past this, and let's not deal with this anymore. I believe if we just take a common-sense approach to the Scripture, what, what the writer is saying is, come on, We need to abandon this, we need to forsake this, we need to depart from this. Not that we are departing from the doctrine of who Christ is, but this is not something we should be dealing with and talking about anymore. We know who Christ is, we know that He's the Son of God, we know that He is God. All the things that we've talked about in previous messages, come on, this is basic, this is elementary, and we need to stop worrying and talking about and discussing these things. So he says, in doing this, let us go on unto perfection. Now remember in chapter 5, whenever he was rebuking them for their lack of maturity, he said, ye ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again. But in verse number 1, he says, let us What has he just done? He's just included himself into the conversation. He's not talking about someone else now, and this is what you need to do. This is what you all ought to be doing. He is saying to them, now listen, this is what we need to be doing. So what did he say they need to be doing? He said, let us go on unto perfection. What does it mean to go on to something? It means this, to apply ourselves or to move toward something. So we need to apply ourselves and we need to move toward perfection, which all that means is this, completion or a sense of maturity. So he is saying, if you consider again the context, there are many things that I'd love to say about Melchizedek, and, and they're hard to be uttered because you're dull of hearing, you're you're slow to hear, you're lazy when it comes to hearing, and and what you need now is you need to be taught the basics and the and the ABCs of Christianity and what we've tried to explain to you in this law or in this age of grace now. This is what you have need of, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to lay that aside. We're going to depart from that. We're going to move past this, and here is what we need to do. We need to press toward perfection or completion or maturity in our spiritual lives. It doesn't matter how young a person is in Christ or how old a person is in Christ. There is room for everyone to continue pressing toward maturity and completeness and perfection in their walk with the Lord. So it doesn't matter if the person's been saved two weeks or if they've been saved 25 years. The statement is applicable to everyone. Let us, let us, all of us, every one of us, go on or press toward perfection or completion. Now in verse number 1 down through verse number 2, you read some statements that are not only somewhat confusing, they are very much debated upon by scholars. So if you think I'm going to stand up here and give you all the answers, you're crazy. I don't understand everything that's contained in verse 1 and 2, but I do understand this, that what he is saying is this, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, what he is talking about are aspects of the law that the Judaizers and the ones who were still struggling with the old system of religion, that they would have still been struggling with in their personal spiritual lives. We don't need to go back and lay again this foundation of repentance, of turning away from dead works. Because now that Christ had come, everything that the law once involved was now dead religious works. It did no good to do the sacrifices. It did no good to do the offerings. It did no good to to go through all the ritual. And so that's what he's talking about here. We don't need to lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God He says, of the doctrine of baptism. What does that mean? It's not talking about the immersion of a new believer, but rather it's talking about the ceremonial washings that Jews would participate in. And the laying on of hands, that is when the Jew would lay their hands on the sacrifice so as to be able to identify with the sacrifice that was about to take place. He said that in the the doctrine about the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. He is saying, listen, we need to move past this. There is information, there is doctrine past the law which needs to be considered and developed upon. There needs to be this completion, this perfection, this spiritual maturity. So we want to leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ. We want to go on unto perfection. That is what we want to press toward. We don't want to keep rehashing the same things over and over and over and over again. Now notice in verse number 3 what he says. And this will we do if God permit. And this will we do. What will we do? We will press on to perfection. We're going to become complete in our spiritual lives. We're going to become mature in our spiritual lives. This is what we will do if God permit. What does it mean for God to permit something? It means for God to allow something. For God to give the liberty for something to happen. Now, he uses the word if. Like there's a chance it may not happen. Does this make sense? I mean, this is the words that are written, is it not? Okay, so this will we do. We're going to leave behind these things, and we're going to stop rehashing all of these things. We're going to abandon the basics and the, and the elementary things. We're going to get past all this, and we're going to mature in our Christian life. We're going to do this if God allows. Well, somebody might say something like this. You honestly think God wouldn't allow it? Yes. I think God may not allow maturity and completion and perfection in the proper sense of the word perfection in this context. I think it is possible for God to say, no, it's not happening. It's not going to take place. Just like I'm not going to let Nathan start doing mechanical work on my car or let Hannah start grilling when she has shown no interest in the entire process, here's what I think the context would indicate as we consider all of it and not divide it in the way that it's divided in in our Bibles. He says... This will we do if God permit. See, there is a chance that God may not allow or give liberty for there to be spiritual growth and spiritual maturation to take place. Well, what in the world would cause God to not allow this or to not give liberty for this maturing process to take place? go back to chapter 14 because or chapter 5 verse 14 because this all ties in together he said but strong meat but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil I don't know if you remember what we talked about last week or not, but in trying to develop the context, something that I said was this, is that in order for a person to be able to handle the strong meat and get past the milk, something they have to do is discipline their senses or discipline discipline their mind. They have to exercise their mind so that they can discern what is right and wrong, good and evil. Now you'll have a hard time convincing me otherwise of what I'm about to say. The scripture seems to indicate, best I can tell, That as a believer, perfection, maturity, completion is supposed to be what I am pressing toward. That is what is supposed to be a desire of mine. But if I am showing no interest in the process, it is absurd for me to think that God is still going to somehow grant me the ability to mature in my Christian life and become everything I'm supposed to be. If I'm not going to show any interest in the process, if I'm not going to discipline myself, if I'm not going to exercise the senses, the mind, the emotions, the thinking, the feeling, the the willingness to study and to figure things out, if I am not willing to put forth the effort in the process, then it would be crazy for me to think that God is going to somehow allow me to supernaturally become this complete and whole and mature and perfect Christian that I am supposed to be. It does not seem to make sense that if I have no interest in the process, that God would say to me, son, come here. I know you're not interested and I know you don't have a desire in all this and I know that it's really not a priority to you. I get it. But I have such a desire for you to become perfect that I'm going to make you perfect whether you want to be or not. Where's the rationale in that? It's not going to happen. Now, this evening I want us to think about something while the specifics are obviously far different for us than they were for the audience that the writer is speaking to the principle remains the same every one of us have been called to perfection to completion to maturity that is what you're supposed to press toward that is what i am suppo- supposed to press toward But just because that's what we're supposed to press toward doesn't mean it's just going to happen because God wants it to happen. If it's going to happen, then you and I have to be interested in the process before it will happen. I was visiting with Susie a little bit this afternoon and we were talking about the message because she knew that I struggled with the text this week and all that it was dealing with. And I said the, the, the message in this text is helpful to me in this regard or for this reason. Sometimes you look at people and their spiritual lives and their spiritual development And you can't help but ask yourself this question. Why aren't they maturing? Why are they still here? Why is it that they are stuck in this place in their spiritual development? Why is it that they don't get past this, whatever it may be? You know what the text reminds me of? It reminds me of this truth. It's not that God doesn't want them to get past this. It's not that God doesn't desire for them to move on and to mature and to develop. But until this individual is ready to get serious, and until this individual is willing to apply themselves, and until this individual is willing to discipline themselves until they are willing to put forth some effort in the process, God will not ever force it to happen. It's just not going to happen. This is a two-way street, for lack of better words. If you want to become perfect, then you've got to put forth some effort in it. You and I and no one else can sit back and say, I don't know why God's not doing that if we're not putting forth the effort ourselves. It's not that God doesn't want it to happen. But again, like we would be with our children, if this isn't anything you're interested in, Then I'm not going to allow it to happen. I don't know if this resonates with us, but look around and see people who identify themselves as Christians, see the ones who so many times continue to live in this immature state, in this immature position. Why is that happening? because they're not putting forth the effort. They're just not. Because if they were, then God's will would be to mature them, to develop them, to grow them to where they need to be. It's not that God doesn't want to allow it to happen, but until they care enough to do something in the process, he will not allow it to happen. And this evening, it's a very simple thought. It's a very simple challenge from what I can tell, from what I can piece together. If I'm called to be perfect, and if you're called to be perfect, and if this is what I am supposed to be pressing toward, then what I have to ask myself is this Am I? Am I? Am I the one who, in verse 14, am I the one who is exercising the senses, the mind, the intellect, the thought process, the heart toward God? Am I the one disciplining myself to discern the good and the evil, the right and the wrong? Am I doing that? We know what God's will is. We know what God desires. We know what God wants from us. So I have to ask myself, am I doing it? And it is so easy. My goodness, it is so easy for people to sit in churches and say, well, yeah, I'm doing that. I don't want us to talk about it this evening. I don't want to try to explain all of it because it would keep us here unnecessarily tonight. But I want to ask you. If we think we're doing it, then what would make us think we're doing it? What evidences could we look to in our lives this evening and say, it is this, or it is this, or it is this, or it is a combination of things that would indicate I am trying to discipline myself and I am trying to exercise the senses I am trying to be what I am supposed to be so that God can do in my life what he wills and desires to do in my life. It is so easy to sit here and say, well, yep, I'm trying. What are we doing that proves we're trying? What are we doing that proves we're putting forth the effort so that God will do what he desires to do but will not allow to happen if we're not doing? I promise you modern-day Christianity needs a strong dose of that question. What are you doing? What are you doing to develop your spiritual life that God could actually honor that would allow you to be perfect, to be complete, to be mature? If we're not doing something, if we're not applying ourselves to it, God will not give the liberty for that to take place. Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to just take a moment, God, to give some consideration to our spiritual lives, our spiritual discipline, the way that we exercise ourselves spiritually.